Welcome to an inspirational teaching by Pastor Victor DeMonte, the senior pastor of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. When this morning we're going to look at healing the brokenhearted. That's the topic for this morning. Why is healing the brokenhearted such a major thing in the ministry of Jesus? And we're going to look at that in a few moments. Let's lift up our voices. Let's talk to the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Give you revelation of what this message is all about. Shall we do that? Come, everyone talk to the Lord this morning. Lord, we so need you. We need your Spirit to bring revelation into our hearts. Give us understanding of why you want to heal our brokenness, our hurts, our pain. Let's pray your spirit come, Lord, and touch our hearts, expose uh, some of those things that are there in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God took on a very ambitious task of restoring this world, restoring you and me to be just like him. Now, that's an ambitious thing. God intended man to be just like him. We were created in his own image and likeness. And if God is loving, he wants us to be loving. God is holy, He wants us to be holy. God is good, He wants us to flow with goodness. God is healthy and whole and full of life. God wants us to be full of His life and be healthy. And that's God's heart and God's dream for a lost world. And you and I who responded to Christ are part of that dream that God has for us to make us like Him. And the means in which God chose to bring us to that place of being uh, restored is through healing of the brokenhearted. Now, Satan didn't want this to happen. Satan hates us to be like God. Satan wants us to be like him. And the means that Satan uses to make us like him is through bringing hurts, disappointment, and discouragement into our lives. Satan knows that when we are in pain, it provokes us to be unrighteous. It provokes us to ungodliness. And when I talk about pain, it can be physical pain, it can be emotional or psychological pain. Any kind of pain pushes us in the direction of being ungodly. It provokes us, it brings the worst out of us. Most people do not believe in God, not because they don't understand God, but because they don't understand the pain in which they live in. And so they deny God. And uh, they start doubting God, and they even turn against God. There are many people who are backslidden because of the pain in their lives. I recently watched that movie. We watched it uh, together. God's not dead. And this lecturer who's, uh, you know, become an atheist, he's talking to the, to the class, and he's angry. He gets everyone to write on a piece of paper, God is dead. God is dead, and hand over the paper. One student didn't write it, and he makes his life miserable. And this student stands up, and he lectures, and he, he shares his view uh, to the classroom to the that God is not dead. And, and the student asks the lecturer, why are you so angry? What made you like this way? And he turns around and he says, when my mother died of cancer and when this happened to my mother, where was God? 
And you can see pain causes a person to be separated from God. Pain causes people to be alienated and doubt God and get angry against God. And that's why it's so important that Jesus, when he came into this world, the first thing he did, proclaimed the good news to the poor and brought healing to the brokenhearted. This world is full of brokenhearted people. We are, we are constantly hurt and we hurt others. And God wants to restore us in those places of hurt and damage in our lives. When you look at a righteous person, a person that is godly, you would notice he's a whole person. He's a healed person. But when you look at an ungodly person, you will definitely find that that ungodly person is a very hurting and a broken-hearted person. A lot of our ungodliness comes out of our hurt. And a lot of our good things and our, our, our righteous life comes out of a place of being healed. Why do people struggle with anger? Why do they have issues of bitterness and rebellion? It is because they are hurting. They have unresolved pain, unresolved hurts in their lives. That's why there's a huge difference between the ministry of John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus. John the Baptist came preparing the way for Jesus. And John the Baptist's message was a fiery message. He would tell the people, you brood of wipers, repent, you know, for judgment is coming. And that was the John the Baptist style, calling people to a place of repentance. And repentance had to do with their change of mind and attitude towards God. And people were, would hear his message and they would respond. But Jesus' ministry was totally different from John the Baptist. Jesus' ministry was with the Spirit of God coming. The Spirit of God identifying with our pain, healing the brokenhearted, and setting us free from captivity in order to restore us to be like Him. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, spells of the mission and the ministry of Jesus. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is talking, it's upon Him. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now, when, when we look at the word brokenhearted, it's talking about people who've gone through brokenness in their lives. Various situations and circumstances can cause you to be broken. Betrayal of a relationship, loss of a loved one, divorce, uh, you know, um, people accusing you falsely, all of these causes people to go through a measure of brokenness or brokenhearted. Now, I don't know who came up with the word, with the word inner healing. Inner healing is a word that people use to determine what healing of the brokenhearted is. It's the same thing. And Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted and also to set captives free. Who is a captive? A captive is a person who wants to do the right but cannot. He's a captive. You want to do something but cannot. You're held captive. My question to us this morning is, what are you captive to? What is holding you back from being the person God wants you to be? Are you a captive to your hurts? That you can't overcome those hurts? You can't move from that place? You're so overwhelmed because of what has happened in your life and you're so captive that every time you think of doing something, you go back to that incident of what happened to you. You become a captive. Captive to your hearts. 
Some are captive to their failures. They can't get over the sense of shame because they failed. They can't get over the loss because of their failure. They become crippled. They can't make decisions. They can't move on because failure has gripped them. You become a captive to failure. Some are being captive to broken relationships. You're a captive to that. You can't trust people anymore. The minute you start getting close to someone, you go through those emotions. The last time I was close to someone, I was let down, I was disappointed, they betrayed my trust. And you go through those emotions, you become a captive to that incident and you can no longer enjoy relationships. You no longer can move on and, and trust people because you are held in a place of captivity. People who are addicted, you're addicted because you're a captive. And you can't break that addiction. It's against your will, but you keep doing it. Because that's the enemy's way to keep you in a place of bondage. All captivity has its root in a hurt. And the enemy holds you in that place of captivity. And Jesus came with the message to heal the hurt and to restore you from that place of captivity. Most people tend to cope with their pain rather than deal with their pain. And like I said, I'm talking about emotional pain, physical pain, and psychological pain. Whatever pain. You and I were created to be in the Garden of Eden. We were never created to be in an atmosphere of pain. And that's why when we go through pain, we can't handle it. Because we were never built for it. We were built for an atmosphere to be loved and to give love. Receive life and to give life. That's the atmosphere of Eden. And so now we are living in a fallen world. We are only receiving hurts and giving hurts. How do we live our life? How do we cope with a hostile world like this? We come back to Jesus and we learn what it is to be healed and move on with our lives. Rather than being stuck. The word healing means to restore back to order. That's the dictionary meaning for the word healing. Restore back to order. If this watch shows me wrong time, this watch is sick. It's a sick watch. Why? Because it's not showing me the correct time. It's not working according to the way the manufacturer intended it to work. Now, when I give it for repairs, he restores the watch to the place where it functions with right timing. The watch is healed. It's restored back to what the manufacturer intends. In the same way with our lives. We need healing. All of us do need healing. Why? Because we are not functioning the way God intended us to function. And God wants to restore us in our spirit, our soul, and our body so that we will be whole people responding to God the way God intended us to be. That's His heart for you and me. That's His heart for this world in which we live in. You know, generally speaking, people are good people. Look at your own life. When nobody is troubling you, hey, you're an angel. Isn't that true? You're generous, you're considerate, you're kind, you're gentle. And people look at you, wow, what a lovely Christian, what a lovely human being. As long as nobody troubles you, you're the best person to be with. But the moment you are hurt, what happens? Anger comes out, bitterness comes out, revenge comes out. And all the characteristics of the enemy comes out because of one hurt. Isn't that true? Hello? Are you there? How many of you know what I'm talking about? 
good. I have company here this morning. And you can't imagine one heart changes so much of this person's personality, changes his behavior, changes his speech. Why? Never underestimate the power of a hurt or a wound. Never underestimate it. It brings out the worst out of you. And that's why the enemy loves to hurt people. It makes people like him. And the reason why God loves to heal people, because it makes people like him. So on one hand you have God healing and restoring people, and on the other hand you have Satan hurting and and abusing and, and disappointing people in order that they can be like him. So today, if you're here and you're living an ungodly life, the reason for that ungodliness is because you're hurt. Now, I'm not talking only to those who are Christians. Christians or non-Christians. You may be the most spiritual person. When you're hurt, you live an ungodly life. And yet, when a person is healed and whole, they begin to live a godly life. And if you're living a godly life, it's because it's an evidence of wholeness, healing, that's in your spirit, your soul, and probably even in your body. If you want to write down something, you can write this down. It's so important. You want to write it down, put it on your mobile, put it somewhere. Never forget it. Ready? Hurting people will always hurt others. And so when I see hurting people, I recognize they're hurting because they hurt others because they're hurting themselves. Hurting people will always hurt others. Whole people will always heal others. You talk to a person who's whole and and has the love of God, the peace and the joy in his heart, he will bring something that will restore you to joy and peace. Talk to a person who's hurting, they'll say, look, if you came to me, I would have told you, never talk to them. Why did you do that? Go smack their teeth. That's what you need to do. You know what? They teach you how to hurt others. And there's a lot of people giving advice like that. Because hurting people will hurt others. Whole people will heal others. You have a choice this morning. To be hurting, to be hurting, or to be whole. The biggest hindrance to our transformation, the biggest hindrance to our progress in God is our own hurts and our disappointments. has nothing to do with God. You'd like me to repeat that again? Our own lack of progress or transformation is our own hurts and disappointments. We're going to look at three examples in the Bible and see how they responded in a moment of hurt or in a moment of being brokenhearted. Look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 3 to 11. Here's an incident about Herod, and it says, For Herod had laid hold of John, talking about John the Baptist, and bound him, put him into prison, for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. So Herod was flirting with his brother's wife. He was having an affair. You want to call it fling or flung, whatever you want to call it. Herod was doing something ungodly, and uh, he was messing around with his brother's wife. So what did John the Baptist do? John the Baptist said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. So Herod gets offended because of what John the Baptist said. Can we relate with that this morning? You know, when someone 
tells us what we're doing is wrong, we don't like it. Isn't that true? I don't have to ask you to put your hands up. I know you're there. None of us like it when someone points to something wrong. And immediately, we turn our heart not to what we have done wrong. How he said it, he should have been more gentle. He should have waited for the right time. He should have said it softly. He should have, you know, probably written it and given it to me. Why did he come and tell me to my face I was doing something lawful? And very conveniently, we look at the person who said it and deviate from the problem which we are having. And Herod didn't look at his problem. He looked at John the Baptist as the problem. Hello? Are you there? And so often we get offended when people say something right to us. Point out something which is ungodly in our life. He was hurt. He was angry. Who? Herod. And so what's the first thing he wants to do in his hurt? He wants to put John the Baptist to death. Eradicate him. This is not any different from us. The first thing we tend to do when we are hurt, we assassinate someone's character. We gossip about them. We destroy their reputation. We destroy their image. Am I right? Don't give me that saintly look now. And that's our natural tendency. Whether you're spiritual or unspiritual, it's the result of our hurt. We quickly want to go to a place of assassinating and destroying that person's character, destroying their image, destroying their uh, reputation. We may not kill them, but if they died, we'll say, thank you, Lord, you've indicated me. Very saintly. But that's not the heart of God. That's the heart of a wounded person. That's the heart of a person who's struggling to come to terms with what has happened in their lives. And Herod is an example of that. He wants to kill, he wants to destroy and eradicate John the Baptist because of what he had said to him. But then, Herod is frightened because of the multitude. They consider John the Baptist as a prophet. So Herod thinks, okay, we won't destroy him, we'll put him into prison. And there again, how many people have we put in prison? When we are hurt, we don't want to have anything to do with that person. How many of you know I'm talking to you? Put your hand up. I'm talking to myself also. <laughs> Natural response to hurt. We isolate them. We don't want to have anything to do with them. Communication breaks down. What are we doing? We're doing exactly what Herod did. Only thing, it's not a physical prison, it's a spiritual prison. We, we, don't, we don't deal with them. We don't want to have anything to do with them. Prison is about isolation. And when we are hurt, we conveniently isolate people from our lives. And then we like God TV. Because you fellowship with your TV in your bed, which will never offend you. And if they do, you switch the channel. That's the outworking of a hurt. That's not what God intended for us. He never wanted us to live that way. But we do it constantly. Because we are offended and we are disappointed. It's amazing to see even in marriages, homes, a person who can talk non-stop for one hour. The minute the person is hurt, it comes down to two syllables. Yes, no, get away. I'm busy. Thank you for laughing. Just... Uh, Helps me to know. You understand what I'm saying. No, don't come near me. 
I'm reading my Bible. Spiritual. Why do we do that? Hurt. The way we communicate is indicating to people, hey, I'm hurting, I'm angry, I'm upset. And we put the person in prison. But Herod is not the only person who's hurt. Herod, yes, the woman that he was having an affair with, she too is hurt. Let's read what the Bible says. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, he's having a good time and he's enjoying his birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So men, be careful. On your good day, be careful what you say. And so he is happy. Herodias' daughters entertained him. And he makes a, a statement, he makes a vow saying, I'll give you whatever you want. Verse 8 says, So she, who Herodias' daughter, can you see how her hurt defiles another person? And here is her own mother defiling her. So her mother, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head on a platter, as if it's a chicken dish. You know, Herodias nursed a hurt that she never overcame. It was only seeking for an opportunity for revenge. And the minute she, her daughter got the, the opportunity, she executed that and destroyed John the Baptist by asking for his head on a platter. Never underestimate a person who's hurting. They'll always seek revenge. They'll always do things out of that place of hurt. In fact, the Bible talks about it. It's easy to win a city than a person who's offended. Because they're so walled in with all their ungodliness, overcome by the power of that hurt that they've gone through in life. When a hurt is unresolved, it will destroy you and it will destroy people. People who are hurt are self-destructive people. They will either cut themselves, they get into alcohol, they get into addictions, they self-destroy themselves. Or, if they don't go down that route, they go to the other extent of destroying other people, either by gossiping, betraying, doing things that is ungodly. A person who is hurt, not resolved, will lead an ungodly life. The power of our heart is so intense that you begin to do what someone did to you. The way someone hurts you, you hurt other people. And that becomes a part of our life. The way someone speaks to you in a harsh way, when you get into a relational problem, you speak in the same harsh way. Why? Hurting people will hurt others. You have not resolved the hurt, you carry that hurt, and now it works itself and you become like the person who hurt you. We looked at two characters this morning, Herod and Herodias. Both of them are ungodly people, so you can say, wow, they're ungodly, and so this is natural for what happened in their life and the way they responded in Ahmed. Let's look at the third one this morning, and we look at John the Baptist, who is a prophet. Look at what happened with John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, he was a prophet that prophesied about Jesus Christ and his coming. He prophesied the ministry that Jesus would have. It says in John chapter 1, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and says, Behold, 
pointed people to Jesus and declared He is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. What a revelation. What a proclamation. What an understanding about who Jesus was. Later on, we see in Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist is declaring, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. He's humbling himself before Jesus. And he says, look, I'm not even worthy to touch his sandal straps. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He says, so what I'm doing is hardly anything compared to what Jesus is going to do. He's promoting Jesus. He's prophesying. He's predicting what will happen to the ministry of Jesus. And then we see in John chapter 3, the disciples of John the Baptist get into a dispute. There's misunderstanding. There's unrest among his disciples. For what? They're saying, look, We've been doing this thing of baptizing people all this time. Now this man Jesus and his disciples coming. And they are baptizing people also. And more people are going to them than to us. The problem existed even at that time. And so they were getting a bit insecure with it. And look at how John the Baptist sets it right. In verse 3, John the Baptist said, Look, He must increase, I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. So he's saying, look, don't be too anxious about that. After all, this ministry is to promote Jesus. He must increase and I must decrease. What a sense of godliness. What a godly man. What a man that was filled with the Spirit. What a man who had a ministry that paved the way for Jesus and he was known as a prophet. What happens to this prophet when he's hurt? Let's look at it in the next few verses. So no matter how spiritual we are, when we are hurt, we tend to be the most ungodly people. Let's look at what it says in in Luke chapter 7, verse 19 to 20. John is now, John the Baptist is put in prison, and he's offended. He's hurt. He's in prison. No one likes to be in prison. Whether you're godly or ungodly, you don't like prisons. And so John the Baptist was in that place. And he calls two of his disciples and says to them, Go find out from Jesus. Ask Jesus, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? How do you like that? Can you see that? His faith in Jesus is shaken. The same one who prophesied about Jesus is saying, I'm not too sure about him now. Why? He's hurt. And probably he's hurt He says, I'm here in prison. Jesus never even thinks to visit me. He's doing all these great miracles. He doesn't think of how he can get me out of prison. So he's stuck in prison. He's now too too overwhelmed with what's happening to him. He sends his disciples to find out, is this really Jesus? Is he the real one that we've been talking and looking for? And he goes on to say that when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Faithful disciples of John the Baptist. Verse 21. The very hour Jesus cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to him, Go and tell John the Baptist these things. You have seen and also heard. Live witness, go tell him. That the blind see, the lame walk, 
The lepers uncleansed, the deaf mute, the dead unraised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Look at what Jesus said. Blessed is the one, happy is the one, that's the meaning of the word blessed, happy is the one who is not offended because of me. Listen, church, how many times we have stopped reading our Bible because we are offended God didn't answer our prayers? How many times we took a break from church? How many times we took a break from, you know, following the Lord? Why? Because we allowed an offense or a hurt to disconnect us with God. Anyway, the way some of us live our Christian life shocks me. It looks like God is there to serve them rather than to serve God. You press a button, God has said it, God must run up. Is it? Okay, delete number. And Jesus sent word to John the Baptist saying, Tell him that the gospel is being preached, the blind are seeing, the lepers are being cleansed. Why did Jesus say, send that message to John the Baptist? Because Jesus was restoring John the Baptist's faith and belief. When you are hurt, your belief gets affected. Your faith gets affected. And Jesus is saying, go tell him this to restore his faith. And then Jesus says, blessed, happy is the one who is not offended. because He wants to restore his emotions. He says, sends that message back to John the Baptist. If we don't deal with the hurts in our lives, we become the product of our hurt. I'm going to say that again. If we don't deal with the hurts in our lives, we become the product of that hurt. Behind every hurt, this is not an exaggeration, behind every hurt, there's a statement that we make in our heart. And that statement is like an inner wall that's right there, sown in our spirit. Every time you're hurt, we make a statement. We make an inner wall, and those inner walls are like seeds that get into our spirit, waiting for an opportune time to spring up and bring forth ungodliness. Herodias is a good example. That hurt was like a seed sown in our heart that when she had an opportunity, she eradicated John the Baptist. Very often those hurts have brought forth statements from a very young age sown in your heart and you're living a life reaping the consequences or reaping the fruit of those statements of the inner vows that you've made in your own heart coming out of a hurt. Is that making sense to you this morning? Let me give you an example. I met this lady in Bombay many years ago. And she used to play the keyboard and sing. And so when we do the teaching, we pray for people. And she said this to me. One person ridiculed her, made fun, passed a negative comment. I said this. Behind every heart, there's a negative statement. And so she said in her heart, not to anybody else, in her heart, I will never play the piano and I will never sing again. How many of you can identify with that? Put your hand up this morning. There's only a few of you. What about the others? You identifying with that? I think every one of us can identify with that. When we go through heart, we make a statement. I will never play. I will never sing again. I think 15 years passed when we met her. She had never sung. She would never touch the piano in church. And she made that vow. Even if they beg me, I will not play the piano. I will never sing again. Why? Because behind every hurt is that belief. 
is that vow that we make because we are so deeply hurt, we think, I'm going to make that vow and statement to protect myself from being hurt again. You don't want to be vulnerable. You don't want to be in the place of being hurt again. So you make that decision, and that decision can control you for the rest of your life. I'll give you an example of my own life. Many years ago, I went for a haircut. And I'm sitting down there, and this guy is cutting my hair. Some conversation we had, he said something I didn't like. What happened? I get offended. You know, how many of us feel we have the right not to be offended? It's amazing. We think that's our privilege. I should not be hurt in this world. Hey, wake up. As long as you're in this world, you'll be hurt. The only place you'll not be hurt is in heaven. You want to go there? Yeah, that's the only place you'll be saved. That's why when we looked at that movie last Sunday, Heaven is Real. Remember that four-year-old boy, what he said? In heaven, nobody wants to hurt me. That was a powerful statement. Nobody wants to hurt me in heaven. And that's what heaven is all about. But as long as we are on earth, we will have people hurting us, and we will probably hurt others too. And so I was offended because of what this Baba did, or what he said. And so in my heart, I started scolding him. How many of you know what that is? Yeah, that we know. No, outward we are nice. In our heart. I finished scolding him everything I wanted to do. Who this guy is, what he thinks he's, I'm paying him, all, all that went into my Finished, exhausted, nothing more to scold. Then I made a last statement. Guess what that last statement will be? I will never go back to this barber again. Never go back. You see behind, no matter how small the hurt is, or how big the hurt is, we make those inner vows. We make those statements. Constantly. Every hurt you will find and discover, there's an inner vow or a statement that you made in your heart. Simple things. I can give you a whole long list of what I've done. It's not my, I'm not going to edify you with that. I went home. Spirit of God, thank God for the Holy Spirit, pointed that out. I repented, renounced. Next month I went a little early for a haircut. Just to resolve that, you know, settle that scope with uh, that, that belief or that inner vow that was made on the inside of me. I'm going to share with you what happened recently when we were in Sri Lanka. Here was this couple that was totally, totally broken hearted. And she had every right to be broken hearted. Her husband had an affair with another woman. And he had an affair which brought the woman home under the disguise that he, you know, it's just a business thing. She needs a place, and so we'll just keep her for some time. And when she was in the home, he was having an affair with her, right under his wife's nose, and his wife didn't know anything till he was caught. Can you imagine how profound that, that wound, the anger, the, the pain of that woman would have been? A normal person won't know to what extent that would have damaged her. And both of them come because his sister in Dubai recommended them to come and attend this meeting for their own good. And so they're sitting there and didn't know what had happened in their life. And I started to minister to them. And this lady sits there. She's crying. And now the incident has happened. Now three years have gone past. There's a breakdown in the relationship. There's no communication. They're only staying under one roof because of the child. And saying, because of my child, I'm in this relationship under the same roof. But otherwise, we have nothing to do with each other. Three years have gone past. The power of that hurt is still controlling her and the relationship. And so I said this to her because I know how it works. And I said, 
you know, you have made an inner statement and your heart saying, you will never, ever forgive him. And she looked at me, she says, true. I said, would you like to change that belief? As long as you made that vow never to forgive, you will never forgive and you will be stuck in that hurt. And every day, without exaggeration, she will be weeping and crying because of what her husband did. And she got to find out on her birthday, so that's even more worse. Like, kind of, that's my birthday gift. Betrayal. And so she, she was so hurt, in order to protect her son, she said, I'll never forgive him. Her head started paining. And then after that, I began to talk, and she was starting to pull her head. And said, don't worry. I said, God's doing something. And I knew why her head was paining. There was something demonic behind that inner vow and, and belief that she's made. That's why the enemy comes in at those moments of wounding and he holds you captive to it for the rest of your life if you don't bring it to Jesus and, and get it resolved. I said, there's another thing that you've said. I said that you will never touch him. She says, right. And now the intensity is even growing. And for the remaining three years, she would hardly have anything to do with him physically. They would only touch to get someone else's attention like that with the finger. That's it. Any hugging, she, he would come push him away. She didn't want to have anything. She didn't want him to touch him. Neither did she want to touch him. And then she made another vow. I will do the same thing that he did to me so that he'll know what it is to be betrayed. Are you listening to me today? Where is all of that ungodliness coming from? From one place of being hurt and wounded and betrayed. And I took her through one after the other and I said, look, behind every hurt there's an inner vow and if you don't repent and bring that before God and deal with it, it'll control you for the rest of your life. And fortunately, she responded and God met with her, God released her, God set her free. At the end, her headache, everything, God began to restore her. And that relationship at the end of that weekend, both of them came together. And she said this, a number of times he went on his knees, pleaded with her, forgive me. And she says, I couldn't forgive him. The guy went all out to restore the relationship, but she was locked up. Why? Because of inner well. Many couples are struggling, not because they hurt, but because they are in that inner world. They made a vow where the enemy holds them captive. They become in that place of hurt and they live out of that place of wounding all the time. I'm not saying what he did was right. Horrible. He shouldn't have ever done it. But what's worse is you as a victim are hurting yourself every time you go through the pain. Every time you go through it. You made a vow that's that's locked you up emotionally, locked you up psychologically, and you cannot experience the freedom that God wants for, wants for you to have. She said something that I will not forget in a long time. She said, my husband is doing well. We have all the money to live a good life. Any moment we can book our tickets and go anywhere in the world to have a holiday. She says, but we are not happy. And I thought to myself, how many more couples, how many more families are like that? They have all the material comforts. They have the money. They have the opportunities to travel the world. But they have no happiness. Why? Because of a hurt that's there between two people. And that's how powerful a hurt is. It can control, it can ruin and destroy not only your life, but the life of people who are around you.
There are people, there was another girl that we met, and uh, I begin to see this as a pattern in many people's lives. She was hurt because of her parents said something, did something. She was so hurt that she decided to walk out of home and rebelled against her parents. Anger was in her heart. She went to college, she rebelled against the lecturers. She fell in love with the guy, brought the guy home. Parents said no, rebelled against uh, parents, went on and got married. Rebellion and rebellion. She couldn't handle the relationship with her husband, rebelled against him. Now she has a grown-up daughter or something when we meet her. And she's pouring out her heart in pain after pain after pain. She says, everywhere I've been a failure. I work and earn money, but I'm a failure because nothing seems to be working. There's no peace. There's only... She's a believer being a part of a church. But you know what? Never resolved the hurt of a broken heart. Never resolved it. And so I begin to listen to her story and I, I just connected her to the events and I said to her, your whole problem didn't start with the breakdown of your marriage. Your whole problem didn't start because what went wrong in your home. Your problem started long ago before you were married. Your problem started long ago right there in your relationship with your father where you decided to be rebellious and not to give in. You wanted to stand for your right. You wanted to do things that you felt were right. That one decision or that vow to be rebellious has led into a series of events. And she began to see the whole outworking of a hurt and anger that was never resolved when it should have been resolved in her home. What did it bring? It brought divorce, brought shame, and it brought a whole lot more hurt in a person's life. Young people here, here, I want you to know that if you let a hurt overpower you, it will rob you of your destiny in God. It will rob you of living the life that God wants you to live. And you will make decisions out of your heart that will bring you into further ruin, further disappointment, and you land up far more wounded and you will throw all that anger against God. Yet, it wasn't God. It was your own inner vow, that statement you made with the first hurt that's triggered off a series of events. It's better to resolve it. No wonder Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Because he saw the damage of a broken heart. A damage of a wounded heart. We make decisions. We make those vows. And those vows become seeds that grow into trees that, that bear ungodly fruit in our lives. There are people who are hurt because of rejection. Rejection from their family. Their parents, you know, wrote them off. Said you are a failure, you are useless. Friends have written you off. And you know what? We can't handle the pain of rejection. So what do we do? We make a vow. When? Not when we are married. Right before our marriage. We make those vows and inner statements even in a growing up young age of our lives. And what's the vow that you would make? You would make and say, one day, are you listening? One day, I will grow up and I will show all these people what I could do. One day. And you begin to dream of that day. You begin to see yourself sitting behind a desk. Or you begin to see yourself as a successful businessman. You see yourself out of that place of wound only to show people that you can succeed and you can prove them wrong. You understand what I'm saying this morning? You nurse that dream. Where is it coming from? A broken, wounded heart. And then when you grow up, you study, you look for opportunities, God blesses you, you become successful. And you know what? You are still 
motivated and driven with that inner vow, I will be a successful person and I will show everyone. And in your dream, you see people coming to you and saying, wow, great guy, you've done this, you've done this, and all of that. And you want to prove to the people, hey, you're not a failure, but you're a success. But you know what? The people are not even looking. The people are not even noticing your success. And you're actually trying to prove to yourself what your parents said, what others thought of you is wrong, and that's motivating you. You can't stop. You're looking for one project to another project. You're looking for... Everywhere you go, you're looking for reputation. You're looking for that image to be created so you can get what you didn't get in your young age. You're hurting because of rejection. And you live out your life for trying to fulfill that dream in order to satisfy a hurt and a decision that you, you made in, in, in your growing up years. What a waste of a life. And you know what? Even if you reach and accomplish it, the people who you wanted to prove to as a success are no more longer around. They're not even noticing. They're just carrying on with their life. And you have wronged yourself so much that you've only brought yourself to a place of saying, hey, this is what I do. I remember meeting a guy. He was so materialistic. Bought the big house, bought a big car, bought everything. And... You know, because I'm in what I'm doing, I, I just find it fascinating to fix people's lives together. This is fun. I mean, it's good. I mean, you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay. You know, for me, it's very, very normal, very natural for me to connect the events, the gift that God's given me. And so I'm listening to this guy. And I talked to him and I said, I'm looking. Now, where does this all start? What triggered this guy up? And he tells me the story back when he was in school. Isn't that fascinating? He's married. He's got kids. He's made a career. And he's talking to me what happened in school. And he says, all the children went for a picnic. My mother and father had a car at those days. They could afford it. But when I asked them for money for a picnic, they said, no, I'm not going to give you the money for the picnic. He says, I saw everyone in the class go. And the teacher made me sit alone in the class. And I had to sit there because I couldn't pay the money for a picnic. You know what happened? He was hurt. He was so brokenhearted because he was left all alone. What did, you do? what did he do in his brokenness? He made a vow like all of us do. He made a decision and in a statement, when I grow up, I will earn money and I will make sure I'll have everything I lost out in life. Everything my parents couldn't give me, I'll make sure I get it. Because guess what? He achieved he studied abroad, became an engineer. He even would go to the extent of borrowing to buy materialistic things because he couldn't do without it. Where's it coming from? A broken heart. And all his life, everything that means to, uh, that anything that that means uh, the, anything that is of value to him is materialistic. He's living out from that place of wounding. Why are you living the life you're living? Why? Why do you behave the way you behave? Is it coming out from the place of wounding? Is it coming out from the place of brokenheartedness? Or are you living out of a place of wholeness, restored with God? That's a question. You know, there's a difference between good and godly. Did you know that? There's a difference between being good and godly. There are two different things. Goodness flows out of who you are, a good person. That's what good means flows out of your own goodness. Godly flows out of your relationship with God. That's godly. You can be a good person and not be godly. 
Because a godly person does things out of his understanding and relationship with God. We are called to love people, not because we are good people, but because we are godly people. We're doing it because of God. We have the poor, not because we are good. We have the poor because we are godly. It's out of a sense. Godly comes out of our relationship with God. He is the motivator. He is one who inspires us. He is the one that, that provokes us in the direction that we take, coming out of a sense of godliness and conviction in God. But a good person, he can be good because his nature is good, because he likes to be good. He likes to be looked at as good. But how long he can be good, God only knows. Till a hurt comes across and knocks on his door. Every single individual, if I can go keep pointing to every single individual in this place, have been hurt. No exceptions. Not even me. Every one of us have been hurt. And guess what's the statement we make when we are hurt? I will never trust people again. Do I have company here this morning? Yeah, thank you. So comforting. And you can hear a message saying, love one another, you know, be kind of, like water on a duck's back. Because you have a written vow in your heart, never trust people. And you carry that around with you. Never. Never trust people. Where's it coming from? Hurt. That's why, if you have to start relating with people, if you have to start trusting people, you need to be healed before you can see relationships being whole. God wants to get deeper on the inside of us. He understands. He cares for us. He identified with our emotional pain so that we can be healed and restored. I'm going to say something which is important here. Most people live their lives out of a reaction rather than a response of the cross. Constantly we are living our life out of a reaction. Someone hurts you, you hurt them back. Someone doesn't call you, you don't call them back. Our whole life revolves around other people who hurt us, we hurt them back or we behave just like that. Rather than responding from the cross, Jesus died on the cross so that we will no longer be a product of our hurts, but we will become a product of the cross. Isn't that nice? You'd like to say that after me? Jesus died on the cross. I'm sure you can do louder than that. Jesus died on the cross so that I will no longer be a product of my hurts, but I will be a product of the cross. When we live our life as a product of the cross, we're moving towards godliness. Not goodness, godliness. Because of Him. I'm going to play a song that will minister to you this morning. Just capture something of God's heart. And so you can just sit back and just listen to the song. And uh, I want you to think, what are the beliefs that you made? What are those vows that you made? But for now, at least you're aware, why are you doing the things you're doing? Why are you behaving in the way you're behaving? It's an indication of some hurt or some wholeness that is there in your life. It either hurt or wholeness that causes you to do what you do. Let's listen to the song. Making a list of all of the good things you've done for me. Lord, I've never been one to complain, but right now I'm 
Nothing breaks your heart or tears you apart like when I cry. Thank you, Jesus. You know better than anyone else those places of brokenness, the places of hurt that you've gone through, and if you, you know, been ungodly in attacking and, you know, wanting to pull down a person's reputation and, 
you have become a, a person that's so filled with bitterness and revenge, it's time to talk to God and say, God, forgive me. I repent, Lord. But make that decision this morning that your hurt will not control you. You don't want your hurts to be the Lord over your life anymore. Talk to Him. Individually, talk to Him. You know what is going on in your own heart this morning. Some of you, your hearts have grown cold to God because of what has happened to you. Get right with God and say, God, forgive me, Lord. I'm not going to let that pain come between me and God. Let the Holy Spirit come in, in that place. He can heal you. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. He's concerned about your well-being. And as long as that hurt is unresolved, it will be difficult for you to experience transformation, experience godliness, God coming and restoring you. Deal with it this morning. Father, I pray the power of your presence, Lord, come. Throw light into our hearts, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that that, was that hurt and that inner vows will no longer control people, Lord. No longer control. Those decisions that have made us hard-hearted, cold towards one another, cold towards you. Lord, let those walls break this morning. Let those walls come tumbling down, Lord. And Father, I pray that you will give each one of us the grace, Lord, to make our decisions and to live life out of a sense of godliness and to do things and be inspired because of who you are and what you have in store for us, Lord. And I pray, Spirit of God, come, bring back godly order in our lives, that we will begin to live again to fulfill the purpose of why you touched our lives. We will live as free people, we live as whole people, seeking opportunities to bring healing into other people's lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www dot adonai hyphen ministries dot com